Heavenly Father, we come now to hear from you, to hear from your word, to hear from your spirit. And we ask that you help us to do that. Help us to hear. Help us to listen. And help us to take to heart the things that are shown to us today. And so we ask, and I ask, that it is you that speaks and not I. That the wisdom of God might be seen for what it is. And not merely the ideas of man. And so this we ask now in Jesus' name. Amen. What sparks joy for you? What sparks joy for you? Well, for me, what sparks joy is seeing people find their identity and their life in Jesus. In a lot of ways, that shouldn't be a surprise. Seeing people take another step closer in their walk and relationship with God. Seeing people find confidence and courage in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that gives me joy. And it's easy to pick the highlights. Moments like uh, Chucky and Grace's baptism earlier this last year. Seeing people commit themselves to serving in ministry. Seeing people hear the gospel and come to faith in Jesus. Those moments are moments of joy, but it's also the smaller, incidental, everyday moments. When people ask for prayer, when people are in life groups or Bible study and they gain a new insight or they're reminded of some truth. When people are reminded by God's mercy and grace in the ups and downs of life. And my kids and my wife bring me joy also. But what sparks joy for you? Is it your family, your friends, your accomplishments, your possessions, or your life experiences? Well, according to tidying expert Maria Kondo, joy is personal. Everyone will experience it differently. Part of her philosophy uh, of tidying up your possessions. And she says your feelings are the standard for decision-making and knowing what sparks joy. And it's hard to argue with that, isn't it? Who can argue with your feelings? Who can argue with what sparks joy for you? For the average person, their normal body temperature is between 36 and 37 degrees. But if you're sick with a fever, you can feel cold when your body is hot. You can feel hot when your body is cold. What you are and what you feel are two different things. And in the same way for the Christian, joy isn't a feeling. We can feel happy, but that's not necessarily joy. And so joy is not based on whether you're feeling happy or sad, because what you are and what you feel are two different things. And so whether you're happy or sad, the Bible calls Christians to rejoice in the Lord always, to always be joyful. And so the normal state for the Christian, the healthy state for the Christian is joy. And so the result of who God is and what he does, that's the fruit of it, joy. It's not who you are, what you do and how you feel. 
And so as we look at this psalm, it shows where the Christian joy is found. It gives us an outline of what it means to be blessed. And God's idea of blessing and joy is found as we delight in Him and His ways. As we live a life that is shaped by His Word. And also being intimately known and watched over and protected by Him. And so again, what sparks joy for you? But already another question arises. Who defines your joy? Is it your family? Is it your friends? Is it the culture and the society around us? Is it your experience of life? And the answer is most likely all of the above. At some level, we're shaped by the people around us, the world we live in and our experience of it. But that's always changing. I wonder if you've had the experience of watching a family member or a friend change after they've made friends with that person. They've become a different person because of the person that they've met. Or they've moved away from home, they've moved to a different place, away from the familiarity of family and friends, they change. Or after a significant life event, an accident, a health crisis, the loss of a loved one, or even a global pandemic, it changes people. But the question I want to ask is, who then defines joy? For you. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. For the psalmist, it boils down to two influences in life there's the wicked, the sinners, and mockers, and then there's God, the wisdom of the world, or the law of God. And immediately, your there's a question to be asked. Who are the wicked? Who are the sinners? Who are the mockers? On a very simple level, they're God's enemies. They're people who are opposed to God. Well, that's a relief, isn't it? can't think of many people who fall into that category. Except I do. I am opposed to God. I stand here as a disciple of Jesus, a Christian, even a pastor, and yet I am opposed to God. There are parts of my life that are opposed to Him, that fight with Him. So am I wicked? Sinner? A mocker? Might be tempted to say no, but yes, I am. But really, that shouldn't be a surprise. We're reminded throughout the Bible that there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. So that means that we need to be wise about who defines our joy. Don't let my opinion or the opinion of others define your joy. Instead, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Let the law of the Lord, let His instructions, let His word, let His gospel define your joy. Meditate on it day and night. 
Now, that doesn't mean practically that you necessarily read your Bible day and night. Be nice, but that's not necessarily what it means. See, you can read the Bible cover to cover and never delight in it or meditate on it. You've just read it. To meditate on something isn't just the act of reading or even reading it repetitively. It's done by careful reflection and thinking on a particular matter. And so we ask you to keep your Bibles in front of you, not just to see the words, but to check, to confirm, to think, to reflect on what you hear when someone opens the Bible before you. Does what they say line up with what is there? Not just the words, but the thoughts, the emotions, the feelings, the character of God. If it doesn't line up, then it needs to be questioned, clarified. And at the end of the day, I don't want you delighting in my words. I want you to be blessed and find joy, lasting joy in God's words, in God's truth, in His instruction, in His gospel. The result of that is, of this delight and this meditation, is someone who is rooted, firmly rooted, fruitful, nourished, and prosperous. This kind of person who delights and meditates on God's Word is grounded like a tree planted by streams of water, planted by the refreshing streams of the Holy Spirit. They're fruitful. They yield fruit in season. They're growing more like Christ, like a healthy tree. Year on year, they continue to bear fruit. Love, joy, grace. Love, joy, patience. I can't even get the order right. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They continue to grow and bear these fruit. They're nourished and healthy. Because they continue to delight and meditate on God's Word. And so their leaf does not wither. They're not spiritually dry. They're active and prosperous in living for Jesus. Because they seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Rather than the cares of this world. They're not like the wicked. Who are like chaff, husks of grain. Blown away by the lightest of winds. This kind of person knows who they are. They know who they want to be. They know what is worth living for and they know the way of the righteous that leads to life. Because the alternative way leads to judgment and destruction. When judgment comes to pass, the wicked have no roots. They have nothing to stand on. There's no place for them in the assembly of righteous, the righteous. There's no place in God's presence. And I suspect many have asked this question, is there a middle way? Is there middle ground? But this psalm and the scriptures paint a pretty clear picture. It's one way or the other, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked, the way of life or the way of destruction. I don't know what you're like, but I don't like tours. I have nothing against tour guides, but I don't like tours. I don't like the feeling of being told where to go, what to see, what to do. 
Some people prefer that. They, they don't like the stress of it. They like being told what to do and where to go and what to see. Partly, I don't like the idea of dodgy tour guides who get commissions of different businesses that they partner with. But the honest truth is I just like being in control. I want to see things for myself. I want to discover things my way. I want to experience things in my time. I like being in control. But there are good tour guides. Ones who actually listen to you and go, what do you want to see? And combined with their wisdom and their knowledge and their experience, they show you the best of the place that you visit. But then there's the dodgy tour guides who take you to dodgy restaurants and dodgy venues and they get paid a commission out the back while you're eating dodgy food. But see, that's the difference here. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. We have a tour guide, we have a God that watches over the way of the righteous. And this idea of watching over is deeply personal, deeply intimate. The Lord watches over and knows His people. Just as a loving spouse who knows and watches over their partner. Or a loving parent who knows and watches over their children. The Lord knows and watches over the righteous. He guides them. He protects them. He knows them inside and out. And He watches over them in His loving kindness. And here we are reminded of the Gospel. This isn't a God who is far off. Neither is it a God who is out to judge and destroy the wicked. Yes, there are two choices, but He wants one for all. That all might find the path, the way of the righteous, the way of life. But He knows that we can't find it on our own. He knows that even the good people around us aren't always there to help us because they're still figuring it out. But the challenge is that we want to be in control. We don't like God telling us how to live. And so the wicked, the sinner, the mocker, it's, it's not just talking about those evil people. It's not talking about the people that we throw in prison. No, it's you and me. For we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. But His hope, a hope that we celebrated and remembered just last week, the hope of the blessed one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. <clears throat> in Jesus, we find the blessed one who is the perfect example of this psalm. And not only the perfect example of this psalm, but the one who opens the way for us to live this psalm. And from Christmas, we look forward to the events of Easter where Jesus will go to the cross and he will open the way for the wicked, for the sinner, for the mocker to come and find righteousness, to find life. He goes to the cross to die for you and me. And it is through faith in Jesus that he takes our wickedness, that he forgives our sin, that he takes our mockery of God, he takes God's judgment and instead points us not to death 
and judgment and destruction, but to righteousness and life. And Jesus gives himself to us. He gives us his Holy Spirit. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can delight in the things of God. We can discover the blessing and the joy that is found in Jesus. And we can walk this life, this way of life. So what does it mean then for us to delight in the law of God? Well, I think firstly it means that we need to let Jesus define our joy. That we keep coming back to Him to to seek Him for wisdom. The Holy Spirit takes us to His Word, to the law of the Lord, to His instruction. But this is a fight, isn't it? It's a daily fight to delight in God, to delight in His ways. Because everything around us tells us, tempts us to to delight in other things. Family, relationships, possessions, status, wealth, accomplishments, knowledge, experience, and even spirituality. And none of these are inherently bad or wrong, but they need to be framed by Jesus. He needs to define where our joy comes from. Not our own wisdom and not the world around us. But when Jesus does define our joy when we delight in the things of God, all of these other things, they, may, they, they get bumped down the list, but there is no less joy in them. In, in fact, I think there's a new kind of joy in all of life when we see Jesus defining our joy. Because here's the thing, joy is not circumstantial. It's not based on how you feel. It's not based on whether you're happy or sad. It's based and it's dependent on Jesus. It's dependent on who He is and what He's done. And so I can stand here and tell you that there is joy to be found even as I watch my son fight with cancer. There is joy to be found because it's not dependent on life circumstances. It's not dependent on whether you're happy or sad. It's dependent on Jesus. Because when He defines your joy, when He is your joy, It just overshadows everything else. This joy comes when you know that you are forgiven and that there is mercy found at the cross. This joy comes from knowing that you no longer face judgment, but instead you receive favor and grace. It's a joy that comes from being known. Known intimately and watched over by the Most High God. You are known by God. You are known by the Creator and He watches over you. This is the joy I want you to have. This is the joy I want you to know. And it comes as you delight in knowing Him and being known by Him. Let Him define your joy. Let Him define who you are. Delight yourself in the Lord. Meditate on His law, His instruction, His word, His way of life. Let it shape you. Let it guide you. Let it be your source of joy. Well, how do we do this? Well, it's New Year's Eve. uh, New Year's Day, sorry. I'm not going to ask you to make a New Year's resolution. 
But start small. Too often we try and do too much as we seek to live for God, as we seek to meditate on His Word. We, we do too much. So start small. And we here at least are blessed with abundant resources to help guide us in that. But a starting point is to simply meditate on what you hear each Sunday. Take what we, we, what we read, what we speak on, and meditate on that. Make a time in the week, 10, 15 minutes, to come back. You don't even have to listen to the, the, the recording. Just read God's Word and let that refresh you and renew you. If you need help with ideas or resources, there's an app for that. But seriously, come and ask. We are more than willing to help. We want to help you grow in Jesus. So as you read God's Word, listen to it. As good as it is, meditate on it. Take time to consider how it shows you who God is. And again, start small. Once a week, twice a week, three times a week. Build, build up. And if you're stuck, here's a few sample questions to get started. What I've got in front of me is different to what's on the screen. But here's some questions to help you think on God's Word. What does it mean for who you are? As you read God's Word, what does it tell you about who God tells you you are? How does it tell you, how does it show you how you should live? Is there something in life that you need to change? Is there an area of your character that needs to grow? Are there values that need to be aligned with God's values? Some simple questions to start the process. But in the end, let God speak to you through His Word. Let Him show you the way of righteousness, the way of life. But it's also why we need to do this in community. As we meditate on God's Word, as we reflect on it, it's always good to bounce it off other people, to be accountable to other people. It's why we want to encourage you to be committed to being part of a life group. Because it's a place where you can grow together and be shaped by God's Word. It's a place where you can meditate on God's Word. Meditation isn't sitting in a dark room on your own in dead silence. It's the process of unpacking God's Word, not just on your own, but with others as well. And that's the blessing of fellowship. It's not just as, as good as sharing a meal is. The blessing of fellowship is as we come together around God's Word and as we grow together, as we delight in Jesus and are shaped by Him. And if you're ever unsure about anything you read or hear, come and, come and ask. Come and talk to myself. Come and talk to Felix. We might not have all the answers, but we want to encourage you. We want to support you as you walk and grow with Jesus. And as you delight in the gospel, as you meditate on God's word, as you are grounded in the gospel, your roots, your spiritual roots grow deep. They grow deep into God's truth. And then the result of that is that you are fruitful, you are nourished, and you are prosperous as the Holy Spirit continues to grow you season after season. 
The sweetest fruit trees are usually not very young. They're older, they're matured, but they're also constantly nourished season after season. And it's normal for even mature trees, healthy trees, to have good seasons and bad seasons. There will be seasons where they bear good fruit, but then there's seasons where they bear bad fruit, and maybe that's circumstantial, it's bad weather, it's neglect. But they can always bear good fruit with care and nourishment. The gardener comes along, tends to them, prunes them, fertilizes them, and feeds them. And they'll hopefully bear good fruit. But if a tree is neglected, even a mature tree, it may be years before it shows. See, tree rot can kill a tree from the inside and not be found for years. And in some cases, never found until it's been cut down. And a completely rotten tree can be toppled by a gust of wind. When we as Christians talk about bearing fruit, this isn't a one-off event. It's an ongoing process. The bearing of fruit season after season. And yes, there will be seasons in life where you're more fruitful than others. That fruit is better in one than the other, but it doesn't stop. It continues season after season. And the danger for us is complacency. And when there's complacency, this rot of sin can take hold. And it might not immediately be clear. If it's not dealt with, it can rot from the inside. And over time, it will slowly affect the fruit that you bear. But unlike a tree, it's never too late. The gardener of your soul wants you to thrive. Now that may mean there will be moments of pruning, painful moments of pruning, sitting in a pile of poo while the Holy Spirit fertilizes and feeds you on a diet of His Word to restore and nourish your soul. But it's never too late. Because as we delight, as we meditate on God's Word, the result is that our roots continue to grow deep to find water that nourishes us and bears fruit. And so no matter where you stand with Jesus, wherever you are with Him, there's always hope. The way of the righteous and the way of life is available to all who come to Jesus in faith. So what sparks joy for you? Where do you find blessing? Who defines your joy and what blessing looks like? As we kick off a new year, let Jesus be your joy. Let Him define your joy. Delight in Him. Meditate on His ways. And in doing so, find firm ground to stand as you keep growing in Him. May you know the blessing and the joy that comes from knowing Him and being known by Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that this is not only a new year, but a new day. And we ask that as we begin this new day, that we might seek you, 
that we might delight in you, that we might meditate on your words so that we might find life. Help us to do that. Encourage us. Challenge us if needed. But grow us deep. Grow us deep in your word that we might be nourished and fruitful and prosperous for your sake. And Heavenly Father, we thank you that you know us and that you watch over us. We ask that you continue to help us as we walk with you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.